Hi guys, thanks for joining us. I notice um, when I'm watching Instagram Lives that um, there's often this awkward period where we're waiting people, <laughs> waiting for people to join, and I always wonder, like, what in God's name are they doing? <laughs> it totally makes sense now. Totally. Your background looks crooked. <laughs> Julie just said my background looks crooked, which feels like a, a direct insult. <laughs> And, you know, nobody ever said that to, like, Peter Jennings. Just leave it. It's fine. Just leave it. It's fine. It doesn't matter. Nobody's watching. Nobody's paying any attention to you anyway. Um, okay. Well, that's better. That's better. Okay. Hi, guys. It is better? Yeah. It looks bad to me. All right. Uh, here we go. We are in uh, week 44, 45, 46 of the coronavirus shelter-in-place lockdown quarantine-orama. And uh, my name is Dr. John Duffy, and I've been joining you for the last five weeks or so um, just to talk through some of my profession's elements of this whole thing. So briefly, I am a clinical psychologist based here in Chicago, and uh, I work with teens and tweens and families and I've been doing it kind of nonstop since this all started. Uh, so I have some insight into what's going on in households and families with kids and with you guys. Um, so we're gonna just do some Q&A here. We're gonna do this on a weekly basis. Um, I also wrote that book called Parenting the New Teen in the Age of Anxiety. The actual copy's significantly smaller than that and um, so uh, it's really about like what it's like to parent teens today. I didn't necessarily have a perfect bead on what the age of anxiety was going to develop to look like, um, but here we are and we're gonna talk about it. Before we get started tonight, for those of you who are parents or heads of households, um, I have a couple of quick thoughts for you. There are a few tasks, a few jobs that you are responsible for. So all you need to do as the head of the household is to make sure you do your job, do your work if you have a job, or apply for subsidies if you don't, and make sure you attend every Zoom call and become a teacher right now and make sure the house is clean, make sure meals are made and cleaned up, make sure the bedroom are made and that your kids have lots and lots of structure in their day. Make sure you limit video games and have plenty of free play time for your kids, keep them off the phones a lot of the time, but plenty of time they should be on the phones and enjoying time with their friends. Other than that, let me offer you one more mandate. Um, and this, this one I mean, um, you are the emotional leaders of your homes, whether you want to own that title or not. And here's what I'm running into in the last couple of weeks. Um, we've all been quarantined in place for a month plus now. For some people, it's been as long as eight weeks, I am told. So um, I am finding that for lack of a nice clinical way to put this, the wheels are coming off a little bit. People are starting to get more and more anxious. Tensions are rising within households. And the more I pay attention to this, the more I'm talking to kids and parents, I'm finding that if parents approach their days with a degree of calm, and sincerity, honesty about what's going on, and honesty about what this is like for them, but a degree of calm, 
you are really creating the emotional vibe and the emotional temperature in your home. And I'm telling you, man, right now, there is nothing more important than you can, that you can possibly do. So I'm gonna ask you to take a second now to check in with yourself. And I want you to think about, because we probably don't get much of a chance to do this, think about how you feel about this whole situation right now. Think about the elements you're sad about, broken hearted about. Give yourself a moment to think about how angry you are. What's really pissing you off about this whole thing? Is there anything about this that you're kind of happy about? Because I know there are pieces of it that surprise me that I'm enjoying. So think about how you feel and give yourself a moment every day to do that, to consider your own feelings, your own vibes about this whole thing. And then I want you to check in with your kids with about the same. And the way to get them to talk about it is to share how you feel. And I wouldn't always suggest that, but your kids are aware of what's going on. Even young kids, because they have access to everything, they know what's going on to a great extent. So if you're scared, it's okay to let your kids know you carry some fear. If you're really, really angry about what they're missing out on, about what you're missing out on, share that with them. It'll give them permission to start to talk about what's going on with them and you become de facto therapist in the house because you need another role, it's boring. Um, but it also is really, really important because if we wanna regulate the emotional temperature of the household and keep ourselves from escalating internally or externally and starting really raging arguments with one another, um, this is the way to do it, is to let each other and give each other permission to talk about how we feel. And a lot of it's not gonna be good and it's not gonna be what you wanna hear, especially from your kids, but give them permission to express the way they feel. I got this idea in part from Julie, who's in the room with me. Uh, we went and visited friends um, in the city, uh, social distancing, so we were in their backyard. We were all several feet apart, more than six feet apart, and we got, and it was a very nice visit, and we got home, and clearly, Julie was kind of upset, right? And yeah. it was really about like, why does it have to, I can't believe it has to be like this. I can't believe that we have to consider the possibility that with some of our closest friends on earth, we might be toxins, we might be poison and vice versa. How awful is that? I never thought in my lifetime we'd have to go through something like that. And so she expressed that to myself and to George, our son and Lauren, his girlfriend who are quarantining with us. And we all got to understand a little bit where Julie was coming from that day. And it did give us all permission to talk about what we were going through too. So thank you, honey. Mm -hmm. <laughs> all right. So with that, um, if there's anything you want to share, feel free to uh, leave a note down here in these note things. And uh, I'm going to answer a couple of questions that we've gotten from you folks over the last week or so. Um, my daughter is an athlete, and I think I'm grieving the loss of her season more than she is. I'm really upset about it. Are other parents running into the same thing? Yeah, definitely. Um, all the losses that our kids are going through are really profound. And, um, and I've been talking to a lot of parents who have been mentioning to me these moments 
that they know their kids are missing, but they are keenly aware they're missing as well. Um, I've had parents tell me, wow, you know, there's senior nights for these sports or for cheerleading or for the play where mom and dad flank their child and they get flowers and they walk together and they celebrate the four years, right? Um, and there are, you know, all sorts of celebrations and rites and passages and rituals that our kids are supposed to get during these times, especially your kids who are seniors in high school or college or eighth graders or sixth graders going into middle school or fifth graders going into middle school, depending on where you are. And um, some kids are really grieving this stuff and really upset about it. Some kids, they're kind of moving on from it in, in a really adaptable way and moving on to the next chapter and really looking forward to the time when they can get together with friends in some more casual way. So they're looking for sub substitute. But for parents, we have to recognize that these are losses for us too. In fact, for most of us, these rights are things that we pictured long before our kids did. So if you feel awful that your kid is missing his or her season, even if it's not a graduation season or a graduation play or just walking across the stage or just being around their friends every single day, all of this is loss and grief striking for families and you are entitled to feel the way you feel too and you're it's okay if you say so and your kid might say yeah you know what I don't feel that that doesn't bother me so much but it's okay if it bothers you and a lot of parents are feeling that um, one thing I would encourage I had the the great fortune of talking to a group of parents in a school district nearby where, where I live um, last night uh, via this same forum and actually it was a different forum but it looked a lot like this and um, and they you could feel were kind of grieving in community with one another um, and celebrating some pieces of this in community with one another so I encourage you if you're feeling a lot of this reach out to other parents who are in the same boat and share the way you're feeling with them and at least you know how misery kind of loves company at least somebody will acknowledge yeah I get it man this sucks and it's okay for this to suck so don't dismiss the way you feel because that's gonna come out one way or another because these are big losses and for those of us who haven't had to suffer them so I've been fortunate enough my son graduated from everything a while back and so I know what these rites and passages mean, and I know what it's like to be, to be there when they happen, and to miss them is really difficult. It can be really devastating. You can be devastated, it's okay. You will bounce back from it, and there's a lot to be grateful for, but it's okay that this sucks too. You don't just have to hang on the gratitude. You also don't have to do that with your kids either. Okay, moving on. Um, both of my teenagers seem depressed since the pandemic started. My senior doesn't want to talk about colleges and says the future is bleak, so why bother? What should we be doing to help ease their pain? Um, what most of us want to do is talk them out of it, right? Um, the last thing we want our kids to feel is the pain that we kind of know they're feeling and the loss and the grief we know they are suffering. So your senior, um, who's been depressed this, since this started and doesn't want to talk about college and suggests the future is bleak, I can't tell you how many kids 
have used that word to describe the future right now. And if you think about the scope of a young person's life, you know, they haven't been around that long and they don't see an end to this. And kids like to know, they want answers. So kids have told me in the last couple of weeks, hey man, just tell me I can get back to my friends. Tell me it's July 15th. Tell me it's way out there in the future, but at least I'll know. But if you tell me you don't know and it's some nebulous time out there, I don't know how to integrate that. I don't know how to think about that. And an important part of my life is being with my people, being with my friends, looking forward to something. And it's really hard at a young age, your brain isn't all the way there yet, to get to this point where you're like, I'm gonna fire up for something, even though I am reading in the paper that it might not happen the way I picture at all. So the first thing you need to do with your kids is fully acknowledge the way they feel. And you will get sick. If you've been listening to these so far, you're gonna get sick of me saying those words, but this has gotta be our starting point because I am finding over and over and over again that we are predicting how our kids feel. And the truth is, we're usually wrong. Usually we're at least a few degrees off, if not 180. So ask your child how they feel. Why aren't you looking forward to it? What, what looks bleak about the future? It might be different than what you think. So first, gain some knowledge and then talk to them about it. They might not answer you right away. Somebody wrote last week and said, hey, the depressed kid doesn't wanna talk and they're right about that. But if they know you're available to talk, they may eventually. That's what I find in my office time and time and time again. I'll have a young person sitting before me. They'll say, you know what? I'm upset. I really don't want to talk about it. I don't want to be here. My parents made me come. And then 15 minutes later, they're telling me their life story. Now, I know I'm not their parent. It's a little different. So it might take longer than 15 minutes. But most every kid wants the ability to talk. Make yourself available to them. I guarantee you, you will not be disappointed at all in that decision. All right, um, what suggestions do you have for time management, schoolwork specifically? And I need help helping my child to focus aside from medication. He's had ADHD since high school, now he's in college and at home, and it is more difficult and more amplified. Um, this is kind of a universal problem I think a lot of us are running into. Um, now, you're talking about a college-age child, so a lot of this you want to be up to them. But what you might do is sit them down and have a conversation about how they think things ought to go and just start the meeting, but let them be kind of the dictator of how things go best because they're gonna know. They've been away, away to school. They know how they best function and operate. So you don't have to be the lecturer here. You don't have to be the expert here. Your job is to be the facilitator. Draw it out of them, you know, like, okay, so what worked best when you were away at school? We're not gonna be able to create that perfectly. If you were working in the library, well, you got siblings here, maybe you can work at the kitchen table, you can't go to the library here. So there's certain limitations on what they can do. But with what you're working with, start deciding what works best for them, right? If you create the circumstances and the quiet and the breaks and all the elements that they need as best you can, following their lead, not yours, then even the child who is suffering attention issues most can function. Side note, um, 
ADHD is an interesting thing because um, oftentimes anxiety looks like attention problems. If you're anxious, you're having a difficult time paying attention. So it is possible that your child who is suffering attention difficulties also has some anxiety. So talk to them about what they might be anxious about, what they might be worried about. Mirror what we did at the top of this hour with them and see if you don't draw something out of them that might help them get motivated and get focused. You also wanna lay out there the idea that what we're looking at here in this pandemic is temporary, right? I can't tell you the date again. I wish I could tell you it was gonna be June 15th or July 30th or whatever. But regardless, it's gonna be temporary and you will be get back out there. So it's worth spending some time on this in the here and now. All right. I have a, a question that just came in. Julia's question okay. just came in. Hold on. So Melissa's asking, my 10-year-old son saw his best friend today at a distance and they acted like strangers. They FaceTime every day. Do you see social anxiety for these young kiddos at the end of all of this? Yes. Um, so I'm going on the assumption that you guys can hear. Oh, and, and I see Melissa's comment down there at the bottom so you guys can read this. Um, yeah, um, I see social anxiety now. Um, at the end of all this, I think we're going to see a lot of things. So um, let me play doomsday prophet for just a second here. Um, your children are about to go through six straight months where socialization, as we know it, is not a part of their lives, right? So um, their practice effect, which is usually daily, hours and hours a day, they're missing out on that virtually every single day. We're accommodating, right, as best we can. But our accommodations are this technology, right? Thank God we have it. Thank God we can communicate this way, and your kids can, right? They can communicate via video games. They can communicate via social media, Snapchat, Instagram, and FaceTime, and, and uh, Zoom, and calls like this. But we all know that that's a pretty pale facsimile when you really compare it to that face-to-face -face interaction. So I'm hearing from more and more kids who are having trunk parties where they all pull up and hang out together that this is awkward, man. We, we don't know each other like we did six weeks ago. This feels weird. So yeah, there's gonna be a practice effect. It is okay if your kids feel weird when they first get in touch with their friends and you might prepare them for that. Everything, as we reintegrate into what feels like normal, and again, some things aren't gonna be normal. Some things are gonna be very different, but a lot of things are, right? Eventually our kids are gonna be back in schools. They're gonna be back with their friends. There will be teams and there will be clubs and sports and plays in the future. But we wanna let our kids know that getting back into all that is gonna be awkward for all of us, but in particular, it's gonna be awkward for them because there's a whole practice effect that they will have missed out on. What you might do as parents is let them know, hey, we can just meet for a little while. We can, we can go see your best friend for 10 or 15 minutes and then we'll go. Sometimes that makes the interactions a little less awkward um, and then they can reconvene on FaceTime a little while later. But keep in mind how weird this must be for your kids. Put yourself in their shoes for just a second. If you have a 10-year-old, 
he or she has never seen a time like this. If you have a 20-year-old, he or she has never seen a time like this, right? So reintegrating back into their lives is gonna be weird for them, super weird, super awkward. And so I know, I, I'm telling you right now that social anxiety and a whole bunch of other anxieties, you know, the idea that being close to somebody is dangerous. Um, I'm, I'm working with a young man who has a girlfriend who doesn't live close by. And he went to see her uh, thinking like, okay, I think this is safe because her family's been quarantined, my family's been quarantined, I think we're good. And he was anxious the whole time because he wasn't sure. And he didn't want to get her sick. And she did, and frankly, he didn't want her to get him sick. Imagine how weird that must feel, right? Here's two kids who are in love with each other and he's nervous about being with her. So this is a really funky time. So we need to create an allowance for our kids to feel that funkiness, you know? Um, and once it's over, give them some birth to talk about it. Like, oof, that was weird, man. I didn't think that was gonna be weird. And acknowledge like, yeah, that's probably gonna be weird next time too, but I bet it's a little less weird. And it'll get better and better as we get more and more, more used to it, like anything in life, right? We just didn't anticipate this thing. I have another one. Okay. Julie's on a roll. Here. <laughs> great They're on a roll. Um, we as a world have never gone through this. There are no rules or anything to reference. What are your thoughts on rewarding for a good school week or a week of no complaining, getting work done? Yeah. Um, so if I follow you right, you're saying like, my kids are having some weeks where I'm really impressed with the way that they're holding it together, getting their work done, um, getting along with their siblings, doing what they need to do at home. And um, listen, it is absolutely legitimate and imperative to reward that. Because, you know, um, a lot of parents have been asking about like, you know, schoolwork, like how do we make sure all the schoolwork gets done? Well, I was on the phone with a school district last night and we were doing a lot of talk about that. And that's really important to get some of that done. But if we're being honest, the big lessons our kids are learning about these days are things like resilience, frustration tolerance, kindness, patience, all sorts of like really important life lessons. And honestly, when I think back to when I first meet parents, I always ask them, what do you want to see for your kid? What kind of person are you looking to raise? And I never hear like, I want to raise a straight A student who gets into Yale and uh, makes millions of dollars. That's never what I hear from any parent. What I hear is, I wanna raise a kind, happy person who, is, who treats people well and, and tries their hardest, right? So here you're describing a child who's doing that in the middle of a pandemic, right? Where we're all idling high. We're all starting this thing anxious and bored at the same time, which is a rare and awful combination. So yes, should you reward your child and make note at the end of the week like, hey, I'm really proud of you for how you handled this week. I want you to do that again next week. Absolutely, make note of that. You don't have to throw a parade and honestly, you really can't responsibly. But um, make note of it. And, and let them pick the movie that night or the game that night or something. Um, 
but really all you want to do is make sure they know, hey, I see you and I see how hard you're trying and I really, really appreciate it. And it's really hard to do what you're doing at times like this. So absolutely note your appreciation. And then I would move off it pretty quickly and let it go and just let them uh, feel good on their own, right? Because once you pat them on the head, that self-esteem is gonna kind of build itself. So give it some space to do that. Do not overwhelm them with gifts. Do not order a cake. Do not overdo it. They will roll their eyes at you and you will become that parent. You don't wanna be that parent, right? Who just flatters their kid every time they do anything. Yep. All right, no, no, you go ahead. Oh, I can you, go now. Yeah. Okay, it's my turn. Um, okay, th this actually um, is off the page of the pandemic, although this is something I'm hearing from parents actually quite a bit these days. My son, who's 19, has difficulty eating at times. This has been true for a few years. It's not new. He'll be hungry, sitting down. It's food he enjoys. He may look at it, just sit there for a while, and then sometimes he just walks away. What would cause this? He doesn't have any weight concerns, etc. cetera. Um, first, I will tell you that what you're describing seems wildly unusual, but it's not. An awful lot of young people are very twisted up when it comes to food. And one thing I've learned about people with food issues is the issue is never just food. So um, you want to sit your son down at 19 or your daughter at 16, any of you who have kids who seem to act a little funky or resistant or are struggling with food and get down to what's really going on there. Because oftentimes food issues from um, I'm not eating much to all out eating disorders have to do with something like control. So your 19 year old might feel like he has very little control over certain areas of his world, but everyone knows I can control what I put in my body. I can control food. And an awful lot of young people, they exercise the control, especially I've noticed during this past six weeks through the way they take in food or choose not to, right? I can't control how this pandemic is going. I can't even leave the house. I can't, you know, I might have to stay in my room the vast majority of the time. There's very little of my life I can control and that's brand new to me, but I can control what I take into my body. So again, make no assumptions about what this is about, but talk to your child about it. And this is an area where you may want to seek out somebody who is a professional. And I don't want to be alarmist here because I think we should seek out professionals in my field for an awful lot of things that most people don't because sometimes we're over our skis as parents and there are people who know an awful lot about this stuff and you may as well use every tool in the toolbox to make sure your child is in a safe and healthy lane. And this is one of those areas where I feel pretty strongly about that. In this circumstance, I would just start by asking him, you know, like I noticed like you really like steak and we have steak tonight and you're not eating. Um, so what's going on? And it could be a number of things. It could be control. Uh, a lack of appetite is also a symptom of depression, but it could be something completely different too. And um, I, I see here that it says he has no weight concerns or anything. Um, that might be true, but um, I think sometimes, especially for our boys, we underestimate the degree to which they are attentive 
highly aware of their bodies. So we've been talking about body issues and body dysmorphia issues in girls and young women for a very long time. But I'm telling you, I have dealt with that just as frequently with boys and young men. And um, like uh, some anxiety and depression and some other things, I think that might escalate a bit during this time. So if you can nip that in the bud by drawing your child out, I strongly encourage you to do that. You got anything? Okay. Um, I heard you saying it is okay to let structured days go during this pandemic. Oof, I think this is gonna burn me here. <laughs> While I agree with it, both of my teenage children are clinically depressed and are going through partial hospitalization programs and intensive outpatient programs after short hospitalizations. I did relaxed bedtime and they are having so much more free time from structured days, but as part of the recoveries, I still want to have some rules in place. I just have to see them and strike the right balance, right? Appreciate your thoughts. Yeah, um, first of all, um, kudos to you because this has gotta be a very difficult time to have two kids who are going through hospitalization programs that are psychiatric based. So they've clearly had some emotional struggles and to have that um, come back to your home in the midst of a pandemic and to navigate all of that emotional volatility, um, kudos to you, mom or dad, whoever wrote that, because that is mighty, mighty parenting work. Um, and uh, you know, make sure absolutely that you are taking care of yourselves. As far as structure goes, one thing I know, and for any of you who um, know kids who have been involved in partial programs or intensive outpatient programs, or, um, or whose kids have been involved in those programs, I first wanna lift any veil of shame off of those programs for kids who are struggling with school-related issues, COVID-related issues, depression, anxiety. These programs are invaluable. And my strong bias is if you would carry a taboo, like I'm not parenting right if I'm if I'm doing this, lift that taboo, skip that entirely because this is just another tool in the toolbox and kudos to the, these parents for making use of that tool. You're already building some structure into the day with the program. But if you feel like, wow, they're really unraveling emotionally when they're home, then I really encourage you to build some structure in the day. What does that look like? Roughly, right now, it looks like you can let their bedtimes go for an hour, an hour and a half. I think that's a pretty good length of time. So if normally we're talking 10.30, 11.30, midnight, I have no problem with that. And let them sleep in a little longer provided the program allows for that. Um, I would have them do their work, school-related work and stuff early in the day. I would encourage that. And I would make video games, exercise, uh, anything fun they can do, even any chores, the carrot on the back end of that. So I would not hyper-structure the day, I would semi-structure the day so that they had some idea of what was coming because as much as your kids are telling you, and I see kids telling all the time, you know, like, Jimmy's mom says that he can stay up as late as he wants and do his homework anytime during the day, whatever. Jimmy's mom doesn't exist. Um, so you do not buy that line, create some structure for your kid and enforce some of that through this time, but also allow a lot of free time with a nod toward the reality that your kid's going through this really funky, funky, difficult time.
Okay. That one. Julie. Top question. Okay. Um, this is this is a, a paragraph of a question. So hang in with me here. We live in Tennessee, where the phase one COVID limitations have been lifted. Today, my 13-year-old son's friend had a birthday, and we were invited to celebrate with a drive-by celebration, wishing the birthday kid happy birthday from our cars, and the family was in the yard. Two of his friends got out of the car and were hanging out in a relatively normal fashion. My son wasn't even comfortable getting out of the car, even if he stayed at least six feet away. And he seemed to be outraged that people aren't socially distancing like we were all asked to do a month ago. My question is about the anxiety around what we are living through and how to begin to navigate living in the next phase of the you have to stay at home or from you have to stay at home, clearly. We are in the situation because we work from home that we can be extremely conservative about not interacting with people. But my concern is how to be healthy about easing back into life. I've never considered my son to be an anxious kid, but I can see him being afraid or outraged, for instance, if school were to reopen like normal in the fall. How do we best guide him through? That is a great question, right? This is something that, um, Julie, I think you'll agree, I think about all the time, is there will be a back end to all this. And I'm very concerned about what that's gonna look like for our families and specifically for our kids. As I was talking about a little while ago, our kids are going through the strangest, most unpredictably odd time in their lives, emotionally, socially, academically, and in every other area you can name. And in terms of your family, this is weird for them, right? So um, I think a lot of kids are gonna be anxious. So, you know, that idea that we're all just gonna run outside and hug each other, you know, that's not gonna happen. And what's happening with this boy, a lot of kids are gonna feel this very thing, like a little trepidation, because we've been teaching our kids this intense vigilance for months now, right? You have to wash your hands all the time. Other people can be a real danger to you. So this stuff you've been doing your whole life that feels completely normal, you cannot do this anymore, not for a while. In fact, you should probably wear a mask around other people, right? So these kids suddenly, suddenly are getting completely different messages and these messages are anxiety provoking. Don't get me wrong, I support them. They're critical and really important and life-saving, but at some point, we're gonna have to back our kids out of this way of thinking and to tell kids, you know what? That whole thing about like, you know, people being dangerous and not being with your friends, forget it, it's all good now, you can go back out and play. Kids are not gonna be so quick to do that. We are building obsessive and compulsive and anxious tendencies in our kids in order to save lives. We have to learn very quickly here how to back down from them. The only thing I can tell you for sure is what's working for me is to talk to kids about taking the measures that they're using now and lay them aside as temporary. Literally like this is COVID related. This is, we're, we're trying to do our best to flatten the curve and protect people and keep people as healthy as we can. Once we're done, we're gonna go back to normal. And if kids can compartmentalize that in their minds, then they can begin to at least conceptualize the idea that, oh, this is the abnormal part. So I'm going to practice this for a while 
knowing full well I get back to the other stuff later. But like we were talking about a little while ago with the boy who was seeing his friend for the first time, this is gonna be rocky and this is gonna be awkward and we are going to have to hold our kids' hands and guide them through and model for them what the new normal is on the back end of all of this. And it's gonna be a process. And um, we're gonna get frustrated with our kids because they are, some of them, going to be symptomatic. And the frustration is gonna be like, no, everything's okay now, you can go out, just do it, just go. But it's not that simple. And it's not gonna be that simple for them. They're young and they're impressionable and those frontal lobes are still developing and we've taught them a whole new way of life in moments here. We can't expect them to just unlearn it once all this anxiety lifts. You also can't expect that your child's anxiety about this virus is gonna lift just because somebody tells us, eh, the curve is pretty flat now, you know? Kids are well aware of this stuff. They're paying attention to numbers. They're watching press conferences. Even if they're not doing it with you, kids, kids tell me. They know, and they're accurate. They know what's going on. Even young kids are well aware because they have access to so much. So do not BS them. Be honest with your kids all the way through this process and let them know really clearly that this is a temporary state of affairs. Um, and then as we go here on these Thursday nights, and hopefully as the curve flattens, we'll talk more about how to ease your kids back into what feels more like normal. But for now, it's worth having a conversation with them and telling them there is a normal out there. This is the part that's not, and you're doing it right, and you're, and you're doing a great job, and they'll remember it forever. But make sure they know that there is a future that's going to look different than this. Good. Katie says, I can see later kids being really hard on each other on the back end, depending on how the rule, how rule following one kid is versus another when it comes to sanitizing, personal space, etc." Katie, you're not only right about that, that's already happening. So um, all, as you might guess- And adults model that. <laughs> right, adults model that, right. Good point, Katie, right. We're, we're modeling because we're judgmental Jenna of each other. said that. <laughs> Jenna. <laughs> Jenna, also Katie, right? No, Katie uh, and Jenna. That Jenna, that was Jenna's comment. Oh, Jenna that and Katie. Parents are doing that. Thank you. I mean, adults. <laughs> thank, thank you, Julie. Sorry, Julie, Jenna, and Katie. Thank you all for your comments, Julie. Um, yeah, uh, right. We have to model like really good, you know, um, connections and a lack of judgment to the extent that it makes sense for our kids. Um, and that's hard to do because I can speak from my own point of view and I find myself getting super judgmental. And you know, if I had a five-year-old right now, he or she be, would be well aware, oh, dad is definitely not approving of storming the courthouse steps in Wisconsin. Um, so you know, I, I will cop to having a lot of that myself, but it's not useful. And kids are gonna judge each other. And um, so you want to, guide your kid about decorum and about acceptance and let them know, because we all can picture now that there is a massive ethical dilemma we're all gonna have to face at some point, right? That we're gonna get guidelines about how to roll back into society in some way, but we're not gonna all do this like right according to the same 
path and pace or, or, or even close. So I think we want to get in the mindset, especially for our kids, that, hey, everybody is really well-intended by and large. And so if you have something you want to say to a group of kids, say it with respect. Do not say it with judgment. Um, and then and then you're going to get somewhere. Then you're going to get some play. So, um, and the best we can do, you're right, is, uh, Katie and Jenna and Julie, <laughs> is, is to model that. Um, okay, so um, there was one last really, really important question that I did not want to um, finish up with before answering. And for those of you who have questions we didn't get to, we're going to be doing this every week. Keep them coming. And, um, and I really appreciate you listening, but this is, this is important. Uh, what's one uplifting Springsteen song that can help me get through the pandemic? Here's the thing about Springsteen you all have to know, and it's critical. Uh, there is no Springsteen song that's not going to bring joy to you in some way, even if it's a sad song. And if you've ever seen him live in any format, you will know that. In any event, the answer is the Rising from the album of the same name. Um, but you can't go wrong with We Shall Overcome from the Seeger Sessions album from about 2007. Uh, and there's a super fun song from the river called Sherry Darling, where Clarence Clemens plays his very most poppin' saxophone. So uh, thank you for that most important question um, out there, Julie. Uh, so. That, I think, is it for this week, but we will talk to you again right here, same time, same Instagram channel and station next week. In the meantime, be safe, be good to each other, be good to each other's families, and... Um, and we'll post this, we'll, put, we'll, we'll record this, I mean, we'll yeah, save it if and we, post If it. we do this right, <laughs> which we don't typically, um, you will have an opportunity to share this with other people uh, by sometime tomorrow or something. Uh, thank you so much for joining us tonight. Um, be safe, and I hope to talk to you all soon. Thanks again.